Box and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. I got it. It's it's right in front of my mouth. So let me ask you this important question because it's been it's been on my mind all day. Have you ever had spam? No, that's weird that you would ask that. You know, spam is very big in the Asian community. Yeah, in Hawaii especially as well. Yeah, my uh, wife has had spam and I think actually likes it. I, I'll bet you that if you didn't tell me what it was, I would probably think it's good. It's probably salty and porky and delicious. You, you've, you've, tried, you've never tried spam? I've never tried it, and I think I would really like it, probably. Uh, I have never tried Spam. I just found it interesting in my head that thinking that you and I had never tried Spam. I'll bet if you uh, chopped that shit up and kind of fried it up and put it in with some eggs or something, I bet it's fantastic. Yeah, but that's true of almost anything. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, I didn't eat eat vegetables until I was in my 40s, uh, green vegetables in particular, but I, I always thought, like in my 20s, when I became a huge fan of puff pastry... Mm-hmm. I thought like I could probably eat vegetables if you put it inside like a cream sauce inside a puff pastry. Like that's how I imagine anything could be consumed if it was inside puff pastry. So you, the way you just talked about spam was like that as opposed to just people who grew up with spam and just like it as a normal part of their lives. Spam and eggs, spam and whatever you put spam with. I, I remember going to a diner in Venice a few years ago in, in Los Angeles, Venice, and then and they're having spam and eggs on the menu. And I was thinking, oh. I should try that, and then it's I didn't. Probably delicious. What is yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know. Isn't don't, it just some kind of pork product? Like just a I, bunch. I of- don't know. Is it some kind of pork product? Today we're talking about what it means to be Jewish. So of course, spam is relevant. Spam. Because if it is some kind of pork product, it would not be good. <laughs> well, For you the know, traditional kosher Jew, not us. Neither was there kosher. Although there was that time when you were a child where you thought you were going to be kosher. I forever. wasn't a child. I was a young. Man, okay, child relative to being an adult, you were a child, and I did keep kosher. I kept kosher for I kept how long at least at least a few months, (laughs) at least a few months, (laughs) at least a few months. Yes, that's such a long time. You went to camp, you what this was between like 11th, 12th grade, or it was older. No, no, I was in in college. Are Are you sure? Yeah, you're sure. Yes, I'm. Camp, I'm it positive. Camp, it was. It was. It was I think it was college. after. I think it was after BCI. I think it was after the. Uh, so you were after, at nineteen or something? No, I think I was uh, twenty twenty one. And you came back from camp, and you declared. I remember this so strongly. You declared that you had learned. It was a Jewish camp, obviously, or else what would be the point of learning? To yeah, this was like a summer institute for college age. An institute, students. even better than camp. Yeah. That sounds more adult. Mm-hmm. You were in an institute with lots of German scientists. Most definitely not. <laughs> no German scientists. I'm thinking no. post World War II America, but I, I've been watching a lot of the right stuff lately. And you know, the Nazi scientists helped build America's space program. So yes, they did. Anyway, we digress. But so you came back from this institute, much better than saying camp. You came back from an institute, and you declared to all of us that you were now a man who kept kosher. And and do you remember why you you thought it was so meaningful when you at the time? I don't. I do, and I still think, and I still think it's meaningful. And if I, it, it, this is, a, this is a moral failing on my part, not not yes. not keeping kosher. But first of all, the, the awareness, the mindfulness, if you will, the consciousness around what goes onto your plate, uh, part of uh, you know the whole idea of keeping kosher. By the way, is vastly misconstrued by my, by most people. A lot of those laws are very arbitrary. It's really about morale. Most of it's about morality and bringing a, a heightened consciousness to what it is you're eating, what goes on your plate and how you treat animals. So the the laws of kashrut are about, for example, one of the ones that's most interesting is 
this is nobody does this anymore. But you you're not allowed the the whole thing with uh, mixing meat and milk was mm-hmm. because. When the laws of kashrut were created, beef used to be boiled in milk. That's how it was cooked. And the rabbis who were creating the laws of kashrut said, "That's that's cruel. That's just cruel to the to the mother to to have her calf cooked in her own milk. What kind of a barbarian would do that?" And so we're not going to mix milk and meat. Um, same huh. thing with the way that uh, you kill an animal in order for it to be kosher. It has to be have been. It has to have been painless. It has to have taken one cut. At a very particular place, so that it's it's painless for the animal. Now it's interesting because I have I have some non-Jewish friends here who are hunters, who uh, who also hold similar ideas around sort of what you might call the ethical killing of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to some people, the whole notion of ethical and killing in animals uh, is an oxymoronic idea, is an anachronistic yeah. idea. Yeah, and I and I think that that the the my consumption of you know commercialized food mm-hmm. uh commercially processed f- processed or farmed food mm-hmm. uh, it is a moral failing really I, I mean i just have that's just a moral failing that i've not been able to reconcile or get up get past like i mean i like i like pork i love meat and i still so you- eat it you don't imagine at some point you're going to become a vegetarian or a vegan. That seems so unlikely to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Michael Shabin said the only people who like pork more than Asians are Jews. And I think that that may be correct. Yeah. I don't know what that's based on. That might be more anecdotal than scientific. But I think okay. it's based, it's probably sure. based on the fact that every Jew he's ever known loves pork. Well, it's that whole Chinese food, Jewish cultural trope, yeah. American thing. Like yeah. on Christmas, Jews always get Chinese food. And you and I grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood in Los Angeles where there was Chinese food was a part of our staple. I, I would say what we called Chinese food, right? Let's be honest. It was American Chinese food. Yeah. It's not what people in China eat. So, right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so, oh, so shrimp me, with lobster sauce is not yeah. a particularly Chinese dish, but right. it's tasty. As so, a child. so, so let me f- finish answering your question. So, part of it was raising my raising my consciousness about what I was eating, what it was, what I was putting on my plate, and the other mm-hmm. thing is, and this is the interesting, another really interesting thing about kashrut, and this goes to, I think this is really relevant for for what you wanted to talk about today. This idea of keeping kosher is a lot about community, and that that is, and and ritual, and that is to say, wherever you go, right, it's it's something that basically bonds or ties the Jewish community together. This is something we all do. We all have different likes. We all have different tastes. We have different. Uh, different predilections and different ideas of justice and different ideas, whatever. But this is something we all do, right? But let me say that. Let me say this again. Like most things, it suggests a historical context and a time period, right? Because this was this whole notion started way before the era of jet travel, way before people went to different places. Most people grew up and lived and died where they where they were. They didn't move a lot. Yeah, so this I was think a community. This is a local locality thing. No, 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 no. I don't think. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not explaining it correctly. Or, or, or. Clearly. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying is that it's true of Jews around the world. But I mean, yeah. Jews experience. But here's the. Th- but my point is simply that every Jew's experience of this was in was within a locality. Most people didn't have the experience of going and seeing other worlds, other communities, other ways of being in the world. They only had the very kind of limited confines of their locality. That was that was the nature of the world. It was very small then. And in the modern world, it's very big. And so we're exposed to everything in the world and the context shifts in many ways. That's my point. Yes, I, I, 
I see your point. I think that's, I think it's a good point. And I think that regardless of context, the idea anyway behind this is there is a continuum to this. This There's something- Right, that, I get right, that. There's a continuum and that this is something that is supposed to, you know, connect all of us so that no matter where I am in the world, no matter what age, no matter what was going on politically, no matter what the context is, I'm doing this, Jews in Poland are doing this, there are no Jews in Poland anymore. That was a, I that was a weird random choice of country. Yeah, that was very that was that was World yeah. War II. But that was an assumption based on an idea that wasn't rooted in in actual experience. But wait, you just said something else. I have to interject and and randomize this conversation. You, you and I have both always had some issues with people who use the word irregardless. Correct? I do. I didn't just say that, did I? Not not wait. Irregardless? Yes, I didn't yeah. say irregardless. No, to, but you, no, no, you did not. You said regardless. But the yeah. funny thing was, two weeks ago. The dictionary, I think it was Merriam-Webster, has now oh, made that a word. It? Oh, it's a my word God. now. Really? It's, it's, it's yes, because this is what happens in the modern world, right? Well, words that didn't used to be words that weren't that were not considered grammatically correct have now become used so often that they they can no longer be left out of the word yeah. lexicon. Well, that's what they I mean. By to get your language is a living thing. That's yeah. that's what that's what it means. If enough people just keep doing it, then eventually. The powers that be shrug their shoulders and go, well, I guess it's now a word. Yeah. So I, th I thought that might annoy you. It annoys. Well, that's great because that's incredibly annoying. Right. And now, on the other, and on the other hand, you know, as I've gotten older, dang, more cantankerous. Well, but it's funny because, right. like you, you said that the other day, and in some ways that's true. In most ways, it's not. In most ways, everything has become so gray for me. So there are certain things that annoy me. But on the other hand, like, whatever. If that's, you know, you want to make irregardless a word, it's it's okay with me. All right. Now we're just lost in the weeds. We're, um, we're lost but, in the weeds. So anyway, that is why that is why I was keeping kosher. It was about, yes. con it was about continuity. Uh, it was about connection to to uh -huh. to a people, to a culture. Yes. Um, it was a, it was so right. So that is a way, right? So yes. that is a that is a way that you are if you keep kosher, yes. Um, that you then sort of daily are reminded of your connection to this culture. You could argue it is a practice of mindfulness, and so it was so yes. meaningful that it lasted for almost three months. No, well, here's what happened there. I traveled to Europe, and I thought. Well, if I want to eat everything that's put in front of me, which I do, there's no way it's I can so keep much. kosher. Right. As, as I always say, life is constantly a series of competing values. In right. every moment, we're dealing with a series of competing values. Yeah. We have to choose the highest value at any moment. And eating French sauces is always the highest value, I would suggest. Yeah, so eating whatever I felt like eating was the value that went out there. Yeah. That's a huge value. So anyway, I just find that amusing. Yeah. Um, so... I was saying, I was telling you this the other night on the phone, but I want to, I want to say it here, on air, as it were. Um, I was watching this television show on Amazon. I think it was Am no, it was uh, Hulu. Uh, the other night, it's called Being Erica. It's a Canadian show. It's about a therapy. It's about a, a girl whose life is a woman whose life is falling apart, and she runs into this therapist who offers to, to if she'll make a commitment to this very unique therapy, he will guarantee results, and that's what it says on the card, and so. It turns out the therapist is somehow connected to the universe where he's able to manipulate time and he sends her back in time to her own experiences. She has regrets and she writes those regrets down at the first session and he sends her back in time to deal with those regrets in a different way and to learn lessons. And so this is just a really interesting thing. And she happens to be a Jewish woman in the show and her family is Jewish. Her father in the show is a rabbi. And so she goes back to uh, childhood 
and she has a younger sister and they're at the mall in Canada, I assume Toronto probably. And they're at the mall, this Jewish family and the little girl, the little eight year old is begging her mother to go see Santa Claus, to sit on Santa Claus's lap. And I think this is a pretty universal American experience for American Jewish kids who, uh, when they go out to a mall around Christmas time, most of them, I mean, you and I, again, we grew up in a Jewish neighborhood and a lot of kids in New York grew up in very Jewish neighborhoods, but you still go to any mall, even in a Jewish neighborhood, because we didn't have a big mall in our neighborhood. We had to go slightly outside our neighborhood to go to the mall, the Beverly Center or the West Pavilion later, or whatever, the mall, Century City. The malls all had Santa. And so the line that the, that is said to the little girl when the, the parents are arguing later, the rabbi is arguing with his wife, why did you take my little girl to sit on Santa? And she says, honey, Christmas is everywhere. And this line really struck me. And I, again, I want to I want to just take your objection out before we start so you can get much more intense in the argument. Um, but yes, we grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, but still Christmas is ever, even in our little town, on the, the main two drags at Beverly and Wilshire, there was a huge Santa Claus and reindeer hovering over the city, right? The, the Christmas lights, the holiday light, they're always predominantly Christmas. But, but most Jews in America who don't live in LA or New York, parts of Cleveland or parts of Ohio, um, grow up, if they're Jewish, with almost no Jews. Often, they're the only Jew in their town. They're the only Jew in their school, right? Buffalo. Um, yeah. Did you say Buffalo? Buffalo. <laughs> Chicago. Um, also, the other, the other thing, the ADL said that two, in 2019, and acts of anti-Semitism against Jews reached a four-decade high, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so thank, now, you. thank you, Donald Trump. Yeah, so maybe we're moving past that nightmare a little bit. Although I, I would tell you that Donald Trump was just the was just part of the problem. The Republican Party at large, which I I I, I put an Instagram post up about that. I quote an article from the Independent the newspaper about uh, the Republican Party's attack on democracy over the past couple of decades and their continued assault on on uh, on inclusion, diversity, and and you know the values of the Constitution. Uh, so that's a that's a long term systemic problem that is not going away. Yeah, but I digress. Um, so anyway, so anti semitism has increased dramatically. The Jewish population has decreased dramatically. Over the, obviously, World War II was a big part of that, and so now we're left with 2020 America and being a Jew and what that experience is like. And there's there's a lot of questions in this research that uh, study I read about how Jews feel about the fear they feel, the, the, their own personal experience with anti-Semitism, with acts of hate against them or against people they know or against synagogues, etc. Um, so, so tell me what your thoughts are on, uh, on the, the current state of being Jewish and feeling that fear, that concern in America. Yeah, I'm not sure that my feel this, and this is interesting, I'm not sure my feelings have changed that much. I have always felt <laughs> that there was R rampant anti-Semitism, regardless of whether anyone was talking about it. I mm -hmm. always, I always thought that it, it existed. Really, what's happening now is like I'm just sort of my suspicions are just being confirmed. I just figured your suspicions were rooted in what? Just your uh, historical feeling, the way we were taught as kids to fear the world, the way we were taught. Well, yeah, I wasn't really. I'm not sure I was taught to fear. Us? I wasn't taught to fear the world. I certainly. Uh, grew up with a, a healthy dose of, you know, people try to kill us. You know, it's the joke. What, what's every Jewish holiday? They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. I mean, that's, that's the, right. the I, I grew up with that shit and I, and I pretty much have bought into that most of my life. 
Right. There, there's almost no way to not internalize that having been taught to as we are about our history. Yeah. For, for better or worse. There's no way to not internalize that if you're told that you're, if, you know, if you know that you're Jewish and all you have to do is look back through time and see that in every single epoch, somebody's tried to kill us. Well, and also in every single epoch, somebody blames us for something. Right. Even though we are a small percentage of the population, we have an outsized influence in many people's eyes in the in the in the population in the world, and the the bits of sort of r- the racist tropes that have taken taken hold in a lot of white supremacist groups, especially in this country, just because mm-hmm. that's where we live, have always centered us at the core of some w- vast financial conspiracy and conspiracy of control. In yeah. this country, right? Yeah. So you but, saw this campaign. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I. But I'm. I'm. I'm upset and disturbed by by what I am seeing. You know, in the world, and and just uh, I, I, more more blatant anti-Semitism. Right. You know what 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 are your what's your take on it? Well, I was thinking about the times in my life, and this might be just my own weakness, but I, I I've heard this story from others. But I was thinking about the different times in my life where I thought it was prudent to not acknowledge I was a Jew in certain contexts, in certain experience, in certain places I've been. When people would ask, like, you know, you know, what's your what's your story? Like, I would leave that part out because I just felt it was prudent because I didn't feel safe in some context. I wonder if you've ever, you've always had a much more stronger sense of Jewish identity than I have. I wonder if you've ever had an experience or a time in your life where you felt, maybe I shouldn't acknowledge I'm a Jew in this space because it might not be safe. Well, you know what's interesting? So in Tunisia, I did not have that experience. In Oklahoma, I <laughs> did I did have that experience. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, first of all, I read this. I remember, may her memory be a blessing. I remember the mother of my friend Philip. I said to her, what, where's, you know, where's the Jewish part? We were in Oklahoma. Philip, uh, Philip is just for context. Philip is from Oklahoma. He's from Oklahoma. So I had driven back there with him and we were with his folks. I said, where's the Jewish part of town? And she said, wherever you are. <laughs> You're in it right yeah, now, my friend. Wherever you are standing is the Jewish part of town. <laughs> That's the point. Right, yeah. those people had no relationship to any actual real Jewish human being. None. Right. None. So all they knew is what they saw on TV, what they read, what they looked on the internet. Yeah. If that was early enough, yeah. I don't know. And I yeah. went into a. So Philip took me to a bar that he used to because he, you know, he had told me all about his town, and I, I had so many. I had heard so many stories about what it was like for him growing up in his town, hometown. And we went mm-hmm. into, uh, he said, come on, this is that bar I was telling you about. And we walked in and I lasted I uh, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes max. And I just said, I, I'm too uncomfortable. I have to go. Describe the scene. What I made can't you- stay. I, I, nothing I'm going to say is going to sound kind. So I don't think I should be saying it. I mean, because there's nothing, because there's nothing, there's nothing that I, I, I can't prove to you that anybody in there right. actually had any of, you know, the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know, intentions or, or spiritual uh, uh, leanings <laughs> that I assigned right. to them, you know, but it was a lot Finger. of, it was a lot of big people with white what, what's big white people that seem to have a lot of got a lot of sun on their necks and i just i felt just intensely uncomfortable and i said i just i gotta go and it's funny right because i of course think of myself as white and 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 
or maybe I shouldn't say of course, I think of myself usually as white. And right. some and sometimes I don't think of myself as white entirely, depending on kind of how you think right. of because Jewish about that. in some ways is its own unique and strange category. Well, right. I mean, but I mean, obviously we're a Semitic people, you know. Um Right. But you and I are both, you know, multi-generational American. Yeah. So, you know, um, but wow, I did not feel white in that bar. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause you walked in and you, you had like little cartoon bubbles go up to people's heads saying things like dirty Jew. Yeah. What's the Jew, what's the Jew doing yeah, there? Right. You don't belong. Right. That was all the stuff. Going oh, on I here. definitely felt like I do. These are not my people. I do not belong here. And did you say but that it, to Philip in the moment? And did oh, he yeah, understand? I, I did. Oh, yeah. I said, I, I, I'm sorry. I got to go. I I'm so uncomfortable. And what was his reaction? Was his reaction like, don't, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry. No, about no, it. not at all. No, he got it. He totally got it. Because he, he spent a lot of time in show business. And so he had that, yeah. he had that friend of Jew context. Oh, yeah. He, no, he like totally no. He up. couldn't have been any more, any more uh, kind about it. He was, he got it. But so right. interesting. So in Tunisia, Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to Tunisia, I want to just stand this for one second. So after you left that place, did you have any feelings of, of God, I was, that's, that was just not fair. I was too harsh or I was judgmental or that I didn't give those people a chance. Did you have any sort of remorse or regret or second thoughts about that? No, I, but I was 20. Uh, I mean, I was, I don't know how. Yeah, old yeah but I, you weren't, you were not an ignorant, you know. No, I wasn't ignorant, but I, but my, but my, my. My my thoughts and feelings have become much less rigid than they used to be. My my thoughts about stuff and I, I you know how I would have approached that now m might be different, but might not be. I mean, I still might be really uncomfortable, and I still might not want to, you know. And and this is one of those things. And you and I have talked about that. Like you just you can't get. It. It's very hard to explain to somebody like why why this happens to Jews. Why why you might have this feeling unless you just unless you are a Jew. I, I, it's there. I think that's true of a lot of different groups. I mean, you, unless you have the experience of being within a group, the things that come at a particular group, and in this case, us as Jews, it's hard to explain. I mean, I mean, I think that example though, from like the Christmas thing, is just is similar in many ways, even though it might feel different. It's just that you know, when you're this small a percentage of the population, and when everybody around you speaks in a certain language, right? That normalizes that. What's the what would be the similar word for heteronormative in the religious context? Religionormative. Well, it'd be like Christianormative or something, right? I mean, but that but that's the idea, right? Like as a Jewish kid, you know, you know that when you go to a department store, no matter where you are in the Jew in the in more upscale Jewish neighborhoods in L.A., you'll there, there will be a small Hanukkah section. But in in the non-Jewish areas, if you go further east into like Pomona, where I went to school, or you know. You will not find any, uh, you know, menorahs or candles or Hanukkah. You know, you're not going to find Jewish decorations. They just don't they don't carry them because there's no population to buy them. So, I mean, that that has an impact that has a cultural and social impact on people to feel othered. Right. In a way that like as white privileged people, we don't usually feel othered. But as that added element of Jewishness in the culture, we do feel othered in sometimes, sometimes. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and the that shows up, and this is, I, I guess I should just stop saying we've talked about this. Yeah, stop <laughs> saying that. Talk. Just speak. It, there's a very weird phenomenon that I, I I guessing that you've experienced of being out somewhere and running into someone who's Jewish and having that 
that thing happen where you're going like, oh, I'm Jewish. Right. And there's oh, a comfort. You, there's yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm with my people. Yeah. Yeah. There's Black. a, you know, yeah. There's a lawnsman kind of a. Right. It's like, a, it's like you can breathe in some ways. I mean, especially if you're in an exotic place or in a place where you feel like a little uncomfortable, right. And you connect with, you know, it's interesting too. Like other cultures have this experience that, that, that semester I spent in Italy uh, when I was in my late twenties, I was living in this town in Parma where, you know, Reggie, where Parmesan cheese and prosciutto di Parma comes from this beautiful town. And I, 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 I uh, there was a woman there who I'd befriended. And the first thing she said to me after she found out I was Jewish, she says, oh, let, there's, there's some really old synagogues here. Let me show you, you know, because culture and history that she just assumed, right, that that would make me feel connected or interested. And, and, and it was really interesting, to, by the way, mm-hmm. to go see old synagogues right like i'm the least religious jew i know i don't i don't go to shul regularly i don't celebrate anything regularly but but i did feel some sense of comfort and some sense of continuity in history going Mm -hmm. to some old old synagogue in northern italy yeah were there jews in parma did anybody go to those shuls not that i'm aware of no and it wasn't by the way in parma it's just outside the city of parma but but uh, i don't remember ever meeting another jew um, but that's a very homogeneous society. I mean, that's for one thing. But but um, but yeah, it uh, didn't you have an experience somewhere where you, where, where you were in some exotic country in that trip you took around the world in your 20s and you met some Jew and you were like, oh, this is so nice. Where was that? You told me this story once. You don't remember what I'm talking about? No, I, I, I don't. No, I don't. Wait, is your name Shlomo? <laughs> but, in Tun- but, but in Tunisia, I, by the way, I did not hide my Judaism. Mm-hmm. And those people. This is also when you were younger. Same, yeah, same trip. And and, and those people were incredibly kind and incredibly gracious. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of place where you might want to maybe not say that, but I I didn't. I just and and what there was a lot of uh, uh, um, antipathy toward the Israeli government. Mm-hmm. Well, that also that equating with the Israeli government and being Jewish is is somewhat problematic, I would argue, and frustrating, I think, for today's Jews, especially younger Jews. Yep. Although I feel it too, because I can't stand the current Israeli government. I think they're not good people. And I think some of the actions they've taken are not very human. Yep. Right? Yeah. They're still, they're still, I mean, here's the other thing that's different from when we grew up and it was all about like free Soviet Jewry to to my daughter, Mariana's generation and younger of Jews. Like there is a much greater disconnect partially maybe because of time and the further we've gotten away from the war but there's a much greater disconnect between this notion of israel being always right and us being jewish those things used to be not used to go together like Mm. as a jew when we were kids israel was always right i remember hearing that all the time like there was no distance between a position on israel and being jewish but today there's a huge distance often especially amongst this younger generation of jews and the policies of the Israeli government with respect to settlements, et cetera, right? I mean, you see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. What do you? What is your thinking about? I because I I remain very conflicted about this, and I know that this is a very kind of polarizing um, right. question. But what what is your uh, or issue? What what is your thinking about this idea that you cannot be anti-Israel and without being anti-Semitic, that like to be anti-Israel is to be anti-Semitic. No, what, I think what is your thinking I think about that? I think that's ridiculous. Um, and again, I think there's, I think there's, Israel is, is in and of itself a confusion, right? Because there's this dichotomy, this pull between, between Israel as a Jewish state and Israel as a democratic state, 
right? And so can you have a Jewish state that is a, also a democratic state? I don't know. And I think that's part of the problem is nobody knows. But I but I think that but I think just like I can hate the the government in America and think that Trump and the Republicans are destroying this country, it doesn't mean I am anti-American. I, I I believe in the ideals of America, just like I believe in the ideals and the values of Israel as they were originally constituted, right? In many ways, but I but I don't think that the that the Israeli government's treatment of people can can be this kind of ancient religious idea that we must always be right and therefore they are wrong. Do you believe that you can not think that Israel has a right to exist and not be anti-Semitic? Uh, probably not. But I mean, like that's a that's a different question, right? That does the country yes, have a right to that exist? That is a di- that is a different question. Yeah, I'm just you, I'm you saying picked, you picked that's up dramatic. On yeah. That's yeah, that's, I'm very smart. That's <laughs> dramatically I'm, what does Trump always say about himself? He's a something genius. Stable very, genius. Very stable genius, yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's an interest this is an interesting question too because how many states, how many governments are tied up with a religion? Again, it's just like are we white or are we Jewish? Are those two things a lot. Do, you know, do you know how many Muslim countries there are? Do you know how many flags there are that have a Muslim symbol on it? Yeah. Yeah, but this but this sing but but that's the point. There are many of those. This singular many. Jewish this singular Jewish state is still confusing. I think it's still confusing. I don't think there's clarity. And I think the the vast the the great disparity in Jewish perspectives on this is supports that idea. You know, what is and also the fact that 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 there are different definitions of what it means to be a Jew. This is also somewhat problematic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who's a Jew? By the by the strict rules and the 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 religious parties in Israel. Only, you know, if your mother was Jewish, right? If your both your parents are Jewish, uh, you know, what what's the definition of a Jew? If you believe in the rules of kashrut and these other things, but if you don't practice them, are you a Jew? If you're if you if you converted, are you a Jew? If your mother father was Jewish but your mother wasn't, are you a Jew? I mean, this is there are very few religions that have these questions at yeah. play. Yeah. Like somebody says I'm a Christian, nobody says, "Well, was your mother a Christian?" <laughs> they just they just right. accept you're a Christian or a Muslim. Yeah. So, but so is the Jew? Yeah. So here, I have another question for you. So let's imagine that you. I mean, you could. I'll make this like literally you. So uh, you were raised as a Jew. You grew up believing you were Jewish. Your your both of your parents are Jewish. Both of their mm-hmm. parents are Jewish. So let's say tomorrow. Yes. You're doing some research, your genealogy research, mm-hmm. and you discover. That yeah. your mother's mother's mother was not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Actually, turns out she was completely a hundred percent not Jewish. Right? Would it change how are I you, feel? Are you all of us? Are you suddenly not Jewish? Yeah. No, I would say of course not. My, again, because my definition is my is I was raised a Jew. I was thought of myself as a Jew. And just because you tell me 50 years later, well, you're somewhere back in the lineage, there was a there was a missing link of Jew that went around it. So you're really only one whatever percentage, one sixty-fourth Jewish. It doesn't change my experience in the world, doesn't change my feelings, doesn't change the values I, with which I was raised, which were associated with Jew being Jewish. Right? Yeah. I, I actually think and there's some there's some discussion around this and I'm not totally up on it but but i think that there is some discussion about you know reconsidering this whole idea of 
the 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 matrilineal line, you know, amongst whom, amongst the Orthodox and the and the religious parties and the power, you know, at the core of that, I don't think they're reconsidering. Well, it. I don't know. I don't think the the Orthodox are, but I think there are a lot of people in conservative and progressive movements who are. Yeah, well, there, I'm no doubt because right, there didn't used to be women rabbis, and now. I only know women rabbis. I, I don't even I don't actually personally know any male rabbis, thank God, because the one male rabbi I knew was kind of a dick. Um so like all the all the rabbis I've met in the last few years are women. And that's something that un, was unheard of when we were kids. There were no women rabbis when we were kids. There might have been one starting, but I don't remember. The the, the conservative and especially the uh what's the what's the what group? Oh the reform, the group mm-hmm. I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lost the word and the reform movement has been evolving with the times we grow we're living we're a living people an evolving people right we we learn things i mean i think this is the beauty of humanity right those that are that insist like this absurd construct con, constrict constructionist view of the constitution like let's use the original language of the 18th century and anything beyond that shouldn't be allowed that's a, that's ridiculous. That's a, a ridiculous construct that we've evolved. We've grown under those terms. Black people, women, white, un, uh, white people without land would not be voting still. So, I mean, that's an absurd idea. I mean, yes, we have amend- the amendment structure that has changed that. But still, the document has evolved and we evolve. This is what this is why we're different. One could argue than rabbits or cats, although. Some people think their cats are very smart, and I have no idea, so I'm not going to place a judgment on that. But we learn and we grow, and so we we take in new ideas and we evolve. Thank God, thank God, we evolve. I I, I could I, I could take it I could take a, a position on that on rabbits cats. Okay, yeah, you, you hate cats. When was the last time you read this headline? Cat jumps into icy river to save infant. Yeah, um, I think that was in 1947. Yeah. No, no. No, you've never, never no, no, you've never, never, you've never read that headline. All right, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was a dream I had, or maybe yeah. an episode of the Gilmore Girls. I'm not sure. It could have been one or the other, but I digress. Yeah, again, I didn't grow up with animals, so I have a whole different experience of animals than you do. You had that very scary, ferocious Nazi dog, you know, sorry, German dog, who was trying always to kill me, uh, as did my friend Brent Sumja, by the way, in, in elementary school before I met you. He also had- He tried to kill you? Brent tried to kill you? Brent didn't try to kill me. Brent was a very talented athlete who actually became something of like a famous horse trainer, if I recall. I think I read that somewhere. He loved animals. He had a German shepherd who was terrifying when I was in like second grade. I remember being terrified of this dog. And nobody thinks their own dog is terrifying because they live with them like they remember the family. So they don't really respect other people's fear. And they just act like it's no big deal. Oh, let my dog put his teeth into your leg. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Well, my dog actually almost bit off Bruce Geller's nose. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Geller is the kid with that that perfectly quaffed hair. Is that Bruce Geller? You know, he has a great, he still has a great head of hair. I haven't seen him in 40 oh, years. Oh, he still, he, 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 he still has a perfectly quaffed bit of hair. I don't remember if it was quaffed, but he still has a great head of hair. Okay. Whatever. Good for him. Uh, mazel tov. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So anyway, I totally lost my train of thought in what we were talking. So about. Israel, I was, ask, I was asking you about uh, about you know about uh, Israel, right? About, about, about Jewish identity, and you know, yeah. you, you were saying well, that your lived experience is is what is what defines you as a Jew, not you know some when, not not a genetic. Right. When you and I line, went to yeah. Israel, when you and I went to Israel when we were eighteen mm-hmm. for high school, that high school trip your mother took us on after we graduated, I did feel a sense of home and a sense of like, wow, look at this is the Jewish place. 
mm-hmm. when we went there. But again, I was 18. I was young and impressionable. And this was, you know, during a tumultuous time, by the way. I mean, we were in, we were in, um, I think we were in Jerusalem when the next morning we were supposed to go to some town and woke up and the guy told us that town had been bombed overnight. So we're not going there. I mean, so this was a, this was a very tumultuous time as many times have been in Israel, by the way. But I think our experience again was very different. Our sense of Israel and Jewishness were interconnected in, at that time in a way that I think has separated for many Jews. And so I think, I think this idea that Jews are, Jewish rights are incompatible with human rights is the problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little worried about going that I, by going back to Israel and not for my safety, but I'm, I'm concerned that, and this is an Israeli thing. This is a, this is a a cultural thing. I'm concerned that I would get there and that, you know, I just wouldn't like the people. Mm. Like I would think that like the way of life would be really uh, so different. And, and, and the stories that I've heard, you know, um, would, would so put me off that, you know, I would end up saying like, you know, I've only been here, you know, half an hour and I already can't stand you people. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no desire to go back to Israel, honestly. I mean, I, we, I was there that one time. Have you been there since? You were there again, right? You no. didn't get back there again? No. no. You never got back, I never got back there again in your travel? No. Oh, interesting. So we both, the last time we were there, we were 18. Yeah, I don't have a lot of desire. I mean, again, I I can't stand the Israeli government. I think they're horrible. I mean, I think they're similar to the Trump government. They they run in the same with the same ideas and the same values. And I don't think those are good for any people, Jewish the, or otherwise. The the um, Netanyahu people. Yeah, the I was going to say the 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 actual the the current. Yeah, well, they've been in power a long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is different than the Israeli governments of the 70s that I remember in the 80s, where they would switch from one, you know, from Rabin back to the other. I can't remember the names, but from the the conservative guy to the more liberal guy to the back and forth. But they always still seemed to govern together. There was still a feeling like the, the other guy was the minister of defense while the other guy was the prime minister. And even though they disagreed on some policies, there was still a sense, at least in my memory, that Israel functioned together. And maybe maybe this is childish memory. I don't know. But I think they but with the Netanyahu group and the movement toward authoritarianism in the world in general and with Trump and Netanyahu moving in that direction together, I think Israel has gotten further and further away from those values. And, and so. It's very hard for me to hold that same idea when I was I had when we were kids, like, oh, Israel is right because it's the Jewish safe place in the world, and I just don't feel that way anymore. And maybe that's sad, and maybe that speaks to some end, the end of some kind of world Jewish integration. But, but I, you know, I don't know. So you don't want to, you don't have any desire to go to Israel because of the government. Yeah, just because of the the way it's the way it's shifted. It's just not a place I. I have a great. In- I don't feel connected to it in the way I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as connected to that idea of Israel that as you used to feel? It doesn't seem like you do, based on what you just said. Well, my tongue was in my cheek. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know that I feel as connected to the idea of Israel. <laughs> God, this. The, the, I mean, the, the Israel. Con- the, the the Israel conversation is 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 so fraught, and 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 I, and I do feel it's sort of a. And I do, and I do feel like it's a, it's, it's, in part, it's a Jewish conversation, and in part, it's, it's not, you know. But, but um, full of landmines. It is full of land, literally full of landmines. Yeah, but 
emotional but, and intellectual but yeah metaphorically as well so i don't know that i feel as connected to it i i, I still feel very i still feel like it has to exist but i'll tell you the difference i'll tell you yeah. the difference yeah. you when you were a kid, when I was a kid, there were these Israeli bonds that our grandparents would buy us, right? They're the bought- State of Israel bonds. That was a huge deal. And the reason they bought them was to support the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine today when you have extra money sitting around to invest or to donate that you would even think in your first one, two, three, or four thoughts to buy Israeli bonds. Just be honest. That's correct, right? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, you, that's a huge. You don't. Difference. You don't have to actually say be honest. I'm going to be honest. You don't. <laughs> I know. Have to, you don't I'm have saying, to. Pro- you don't have to prompt me to be honest. God damn it! Be honest, Josh. It's but it's fraught, as you said. But it's also true. We just don't hold neither of us in our own ways. We just don't hold the same value around Israel that we used to. No, that that, we that, that is fair. That is that's fair. By the way, that's one of my favorite things that people say in therapy. What? Fraught. I'll be honest. Oh. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things that people say in the world. I'll be, let honest. Me be honest. I'll be honest. In a, bus- in a business meeting, when somebody says, "Let me be honest," as if everything I said to this point you should discount. I like I like the phrase "Let me be frank" because that suggests I've been honest. I just haven't let you in on everything. Hmm. Because yeah. that's more that is more honest, right? Let me be frank. Suggests I'm just going to go deeper than I've gone with you. It's not that what I said before wasn't truthful. It's just that it wasn't everything. I'm just going to go deeper. And this is what people do. We reveal layers and levels depending on our trust and I our think, comfortability. I don't, with Frank is, I don't even know if Frank is going deeper. It might be going deeper. I mean, I mean sometimes I think being Frank is being deeper. I think, for, I think when people say like, let me be Frank, I think that means like, allow me to say this without putting any thought into how this is going to like your feelings <laughs> or being any like, oh God, no, I don't think that no, at no, all. No, no, let me be Frank. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this without, without uh uh worrying about like couching it in a certain way or phrasing it in a certain way i just need to give you the the facts as honestly and straightforward as possible that's what i see i don't think of it that way i think of frank as like saying as opposed in in opposition to let me be honest which is to suggest i haven't been honest to the this point but frank suggests that i'm going to give you something i might not have said if i didn't feel comfortable with you or I didn't want to go beyond that level. One of the definitions of Frank is marked by free, forthright, and sincere expression. Mm. So that's that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. But again, this is why it's important, as they taught us in sixth grade science, to define your terms and yeah. have people having a shared definition so they understand what you're saying. But we get into a lot of trouble. This is right. true in relationships, by the way, says the two therapists. Mm-hmm. Says one of the two therapists in the room. Um, but that's but that's part of it, Frank. Mm-hmm. Because I'm because I think of myself as a very honest person, but I don't tell people I I don't trust deep deep secrets about myself mm. or p- things that make me feel vulnerable. It's not I'm not being dishonest when I talk. To them. I'm not lying about yeah. other parts of me, but I'm not going to go to those layers if I don't feel I trust you or want to share something with you. When I want to be frank, that says to me I trust you. I want to go to a different layer mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Layer, so level. what does connect you to your to Judaism these days to or to Jewishness? Mostly the memory of my grandparents more than anything else. So there's no practice. There's no um, no because I live alone and I don't live in the town where my friends and you know my daughter live. So I'm not able to participate. Like a couple of years ago when you and I were living together, 
the 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 practice of Shabbat every Friday night, and we baked bread every week. You know, this was a beautiful ritual that connected me to do a really deep sense of Jewishness. But that was through the connection to you, your wife, and your daughter. Mm-hmm. That was, as you said, as you always say, and I agree. I mean, that was relational. That was based in a re- relationship. Is what connects me to anything, mm-hmm. to any value, really. I mean, I think that's true of most of us, but especially that. But I, again, I don't feel a lot of Jewishness except, well, I would say the other thing I would say is humor, right? So when I watch some comedy or when I watch, you know, something funny, uh, a television show or a movie, that connects me to my sense of identity as a Jew. But I don't have religious practices. I don't go to synagogue and pray. I don't, you know, I'm an atheist for the most part, to be honest, to be frank. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't, and and again, I think I think anybody who's honest is is a, is at least agnostic because you know how do you know? I mean, I'm fine with people having faith, but faith is an idea. It's not a it's not a fact, and that's fine. I mean, billions of people believe in a god, but they don't know if the god exists. They will tell you they think it he or she does. It does because of a feeling, and that's as true as anything else. But it's not rooted in a fact, so. You know, I, I'm not. I don't judge it. I just, uh, I just don't hold it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't know that it's not true. I mean, I'm not like saying, oh, that could not possibly be true. There's no way to know. I don't know. The avocado suggests yes, maybe there is a god. But uh, you know, and beyond that, I mean, what else is perfect? I don't know. Perhaps the mixing of ingredients to form a margarita was a was a was a god based idea. I don't know. I could be wrong. And again, I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a big drinker. It's not like I drink every day or even every week. I don't. But, you know, every once in a while, you have a margarita and you think, oh, this is the perfect drink. How did this happen? God. And margaritas. And margaritas, yeah. Darwin um, had a really interesting argument. He was looking at the this, um, it's a, a, a kind of um, wasp, or maybe just sort of a, the species of wasp. But no, I guess it was a kind of a wasp. And this wasp um, embeds its eggs inside of a host and then the eggs hatch and eat the host from the inside out. And that's what feeds the, you know, the, the larva. And then they emerge from, you know, alien like out of the host's body. And Mm -hmm. Darwin said, there's, there's no way, there's no way a God would let another animal do this to, to, to another animal. It's too, it's too, it's just absolutely too insidious. Well, I mean, again, that assumes that assumes a certain set of characteristics of a god, which is that you know that God is good and God is whatever. I mean, I've always said things like that too. Like, there's no way God would force women to have menstruation. Like, who would design something like that? Why did you just not make it? Why do you just make something that's unnecessary? Like, why would you need to? If you were designing from scratch, why would you design that unless you were punitive or unless you were a misogynist? Like I'm saying, like, like right? I mean. If you're designing, if 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 the idea is it's an intelligent designer and it's a perfect design, and you're starting from scratch and you can do anything, to suggest the things that have been created were the things that perfect God would have created makes no sense at all, unless it was a vindictive and angry and misogynistic male figure. So, okay, if that's the God you want to believe in, more power to you, Mazel Tov. All right, that leads us to uh, the the big question. And I'm going to go first. Go for it. 
Um, and this is, a, I want you to try and be very specific. Okay. okay. I, I actually kind of asked you what my big question was just now. That was my question. What was, what was your question? What connects about- you to, what connects you to Jewishness? All right. So you should have prefaced that with, this is the big question. But anyway, All right. it's fine. Um, okay. This is a, this is an interesting question, I think. So if you couldn't be Jewish, knowing what you know about other religions, what religion would you choose? If you had to choose, and again, again, this is no qualifying. This is, listen to the question. If you had to choose to be a religion and it couldn't be Judaism, what religion would you choose for for one aspect, just for the one thing that would make you want to be that religion? Just one thing. I don't think, is, is Taoism considered a religion? I don't know that it is. For the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to go with yes. Oh, okay. What one, what one specific Maybe thing Taoist, do you know probably. about because of what one thing that you like or love? Uh, because of the because of its its uh, principle of you know being like water you know you, you you allow things to allow things to flow allow things to you know don't try to obstruct things allow things to go around you uh, you know go it's it's a really a truly a go with the flow practice if you're a Taoist mm-hmm. and um and and I certainly I mean in my in my approach to living I think that there is a a Taoist element of of what I try to achieve. So I used to th- I used to think of myself as kind of a like Judeo Taoist pantheist, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's very common. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said that to me. So yeah, but Taoism I think is lovely. It's a, it's a, oh, all right. Yeah. That's what about you? Not what I expected. Um, yeah, I would choose atheism. That is not, that's not a religion. You asked me a religion. For the purposes of this conversation, any choice is acceptable. Okay, but you said you are kind of an atheist. <laughs> I know, but I'm also a Jew. All right, I'll go, with, I'll, I'll go with the one thing. Okay, I would be a Christian, and I'll tell you why. For the one thing, again, this is for one thing. Yeah. Because Christians are taught to believe that God has a plan and everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. For that idea in and of itself, I love that idea. I can't, I don't believe it. I couldn't take it up if you paid me. But the idea that I could have a belief system that allowed me to believe that God has a plan and everything is going to be okay would wash away so much of the pain and intense trauma of my childhood and my life. Um, I think that would be a beautiful way to look at the world. I can't, but I mean, I'd like that idea speaks to me. Because mm-hmm. of Mike, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Mike, that's a yeah. good reason. Yeah, yeah. All right then. Yeah. So one one last final question on this topic of Jewish Jewishness. Do you think that, let's say, forty years from now, you and I will definitely be dead? You might not be dead. I will be dead. Your family lives older than me. Forty years from now, you will definitely be dead. Yeah, no, I'll be dead. I'll be dead in twenty years. But you'll here's be, the question: you'll be, you'll be completely dead. Yeah. Utterly dead. But here's the question. So do you think in 40 years, if somebody asks your daughter, your then 47-year-old daughter, (laughs) listen to my question. No, that's just the idea that my daughter's ever going to be 47 is is, is not hard to believe. Get out of your own way. If if somebody asks your 47-year-old daughter, like, do you feel meaningful as a Jew? Do you feel connected to your Jewish identity? What do you do? You think her answer will be yes, or do you think her answer will be no? I just never took that up. Like, what do you imagine might happen, or what do you want to happen? Two different questions, really. But just briefly, don't get too too. I think I think her. I I well, 
I think her answer is going to be yes. I hope her answer is yes. Um, that's, you know, we, we do Shabbat every night. I'm trying to, I'm trying to instill in her, um, a Jewish identity and a, and a Jewish, um, you know, value system. You can get that from your parents. And so you pass that on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, w- I sure hope that, that uh, yes, I mean, that is what I would want. I would want her to say, yes, I feel connected to my Jewishness. I hope that she says my uh, my sense of humor. I mean, she gets her sense of humor from me. I hope she understands. And you hope that when yeah. she, when she at that point, she, she has those nice memories of a childhood with you and, and your wife, but of you and, and the Shabbats and the experiences that gave her that foundation. Yeah. 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 That's interesting because when you just said like, I can't imagine, like my daughter's going to be 27 in a few months. So, you know, when she was seven, I couldn't imagine what it would be like when she was 27. Like that seemed ridiculously far away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now it's, you know, four months away. Yeah. What what about, I mean, my sense of Mariana, of your daughter, is she certainly thinks of herself as Jewish and, and has a connection yeah. to that. Well, her mother was much more Jewish than I was in many ways. I mean, and they, and because, I mean, I had not much of a family and they dwindled and they're all dead now, but, but Cheryl's family still exists and they still do holidays together. So there's, there's been a much stronger co- sense of continuity for Mariana with ritual and holiday with, with, with her mother's family than with mine, sadly. Um, but Mariana also is an atheist, I would, you know, say. So she has, she has learned the Jewish atheism from me because her mother never gave her that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about Judaism is it really makes room for that kind of let's let's call that uh, doubt or questioning. Yeah, right? you can. I think I'm yeah. sure there's some people who who might argue with this, but I I certainly learned and I learned from some great scholars that right you you can be an atheist and be a Jew. Well, I, I th- and I would say if I were another religion and I had asked myself that same question, what religion, what religion would you like to be and why, I would have given the answer you just gave. That is for me, too. The reason I love Judaism is because not only are you allowed to question, but you're required. Mm-hmm. You are demanded, I think one might say in the Bible, to question, to not just accept at face value, but to question that that dialogue is part of the education of a Jew. Right. Yeah, uh, and that's I incredible. Part. Yeah, I think it's part of. I mean, you you could say you could use the word argumentative, <laughs> and people did use yeah, that word about me when I was younger. But, but yeah, you know that is built into the religion. I mean, that's that's right. all these fucking Talmudic scholars do all day long is sit around and right. argue about shit. Right. They don't say do what I tell you to do or you're going to hell, which other some religions have this idea. No. You know, you just have to accept it. And if you don't, you're going to a very bad place. I, I do love that idea of the doubt and the questioning and the challenging and the and the, the discussion, the argument, whatever you want what language you want to use for. But I, I think that's so meaningful and so yeah. valuable. And I think well, and it's what and 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 this idea, this faith thing that you talked about earlier is is one of the things if not the biggest thing that separates or that was mm-hmm. you know differentiates um judaism from uh, christianity and the different uh, um brands of christianity 
the brand. The it's brand. all about brand. Yeah. Everything today is about brand. Uh, is and faith. Yeah. Jews, are, Jews are not a, we're not about faith. We're about practice. We're about like, do it now, right? Right. When I think of Stay Christianity, I much pretty much think of George Michael and faith. That's what, what I always go to. And that bathroom in Beverly Hills from many years ago, if you recall that I, scene. But anyway, I, 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 I but that is not what I go to when I think about oh, okay, Christianity. I'm sorry. You were thinking about a different faith. Yeah. I, I apologize. You were going yeah. from a different direction. You know, I mean, Jews, Jews don't say that you have to have faith or you're not a Jew. Like, no, no, you don't. You don't at all. You can question, you can mm-hmm. question your ass off and say like, I, I don't have faith. I, you know, mm-hmm. Judaism demands that you you put into practice in this world that you know, right? The 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 things that are valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Well, that is that is a great end to a very rich and meaningful discussion for uh, Joshua Beckett and Kenny Benjamin. This was Locks in the Bagel. We'll see you next week. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye.